Greetings, journeyers, and welcome back to Read Keeper's Journey. I'm happy to announce that the podcast has reached 400 downloads in the first 30 days. So really, thank you for listening and spreading the word. Last episode, Bear, Steve, and Michael began their journey to look for Trindok, the Hyperborean Anani, to find a way back home. This episode starts with Ken, Stacy, and Heather biding their time while the boys travel. Now, back to the story. Chapter 17 Heather's mind wandered as Callista taught Stacy the Metef alphabet. Apparently, the language translation trick didn't work with the written word. Heather could not keep her mind from Steve. It was completely out of character for her, but the fact didn't help. He had wormed his way into her heart, and there was no way out of it. And if she was honest with herself, she was not sure if she would change it if she could. Heather, you're not even paying attention, Stacy tisked. I am too. Heather sounded far too childish for her own liking. Are you saying that I can't tell when you're being all dreamy-eyed about your boyfriend? Stacy teased as she fluttered her eyelashes. Heather opened her mouth to respond, but Ken's entrance saved her from a remark that she would regret. Eventually, Callista stood and quickly smoothed her long blue dress. In Heather's opinion, Ken wasn't the image of health, but his face had shed its pinched, uncomfortable expression. She hadn't decided what she thought of Steve's friend, and it wasn't his social awkwardness that forestalled her judgment. It was apparent that Ken was an only child, and with what her mom would call an Iwana streak a mile wide. Heather was sad to learn that his father was dead, and probably gave him more slack than she normally would because of it. That, and she trusted Steve's judgment. She saw a shadow over him that seemed to taint everything he looked at, and attributed it to the death of a loved one. From her experience, those who were only children, mostly from no fault of their own, developed an air of self-importance from being the center of attention during their developmental years. By losing his father, Ken probably realized that sometimes, no matter how badly you want something, or how much you beg, life will not give into your demands, or give you what you want, or thought what you deserved. Did Mother say anything about Michael? Stacy asked, her eyes hopeful. Ken sat down heavily. Mother? He rubbed at his eyes. She said that everyone is just fine. Did she say anything about... Stacy began, but Ken forestalled her with a raised hand. Please, Stace. Can I have a minute to recover? Whatever that... His eyes flicked to Callista. Whatever Hippolyta did... It totally drained me. You should eat, Callista said, already making her way to a fruit bowl. You need to replenish what the body and spirit used. Thank you, Callista, he said as he declined the offered apple. But what I could really use is a big steak. Yes, I think you're correct. You do look wane, Callista said and closed her eyes. A moment later, a girl draped in a simple pale blue gown with brown hair that was braided to form two loops down the middle of her back appeared. She saluted Callista. Ken Cavalier requires a hearty meal, she said. The young woman saluted again and without a word, left. Their host put the bowl of fruit down and looked at Ken. To Heather, it seemed like the young woman itched to run her fingers through his short brown hair. Ken, 
Stacy prompted. Calista stepped back and sat down next to Stacy. Michael is fine, Stace, he replied without opening his eyes. They have set up camp for the night. Hippolyta told me to reassure you that they are totally safe. The girl didn't look satisfied, but retained her silence. They are well protected, sister, Callista added. I would know if anything were amiss. Do you wish to continue your study? Maybe later, Stacy sighed. Perhaps a game, Callista asked as she picked up five stone dice from the table. Like what? Stacy's curiosity had been captured. Tolly, Callista said. It is very popular. Each side of the die has a value, except the two and five sides. Ignore those. You cast the dice, and a value is added by your throw. There are many variations of totals. I will show you. Callista flicked her wrists, and the stones stumbled across the table. Seneo, this is a very low roll, and most common. See, it is easy. It's like Yahtzee, Stacy said to Heather. Do you want to play? Not right now, Heather answered. Callista continued to instruct Stacy on the rules of the game. The familiar sound of dice hitting the wood comforted Heather. Heather's mother loved any type of game and was viciously competitive. She was surprised that she had not thought of her parents these past few days. A wave of homesickness rolled over her. She missed home. She missed her mom. Wait, what did you say? Heather asked louder than necessary in the small room. Stacy was looking at Calista as if she had suddenly sprouted horns. Venus, Stacy said. She, she said Venus. It, it is a very good role, the young maiden explained. I, I didn't mean to cause offense. That is not possible, Ken said slowly and looked at Heather. Maybe a coincidence? Calista, Heather asked hesitantly, is Venus the goddess of love? Goddess? I am not used to that word. But you could say that she is the embodiment of love, or more precisely, it is the part of the spirit that is love. Do you know Zeus? Ken asked. That is the power and order of the spirit. Calista smiled. She looked at the dice on the table. Is this a game where you come from? No, not a game, Heather responded. We know these names from our world. It's mythology, Ken explained. There are stories that people made up a long time ago. I, I don't know much, but I know the names of some of the gods. Michael and Steve are more into it than I am. People, Callista asked. I do not understand. Men and women, Heather said. Callista laughed. Oh, I understand. You are playing with me. You mean the Anthropus. Mother has told me stories of them. They were not of the land, nor of the water, nor of air. They are very strange stories. What happened to him? Heather asked. Calista thought for a moment. She said there was a great divide where the Anthropus were removed from the land. Genocide? Ken paled. Somebody killed all the men and women? I don't think that's what she's saying, Heather quickly interjected. No, not killed, Calista said. They, they lived among us, but after the Mirismos... They live somewhere else. I do not understand it myself. Mother said that they are here, but not here. They are separate. 
A girl entered the room with a tray piled high with meat and vegetables and brought it over to Ken, who eyed it with fever. Thank you, he said, and began attacking the thick steak. It's good, he said around a mouthful. Do you have the same stories where you come from? Calista asked as she poured a goblet of some type of juice for Ken. Heather considered, well, not exactly. Where we come from, there are only men and women. To us, this all seems like it is a story. People do not live in trees. Well, some of them do, but not like this. And those fire dogs? They certainly don't exist. Callista's brow furrowed. I must talk to Mother of this. Perhaps the stories are stranger than I might have imagined. Truth is stranger than fiction, Ken said around a mouthful of steak. Chapter 18 Michael stretched out his feet and leaned back on a saddle that lay on the ground behind him. Man, oh man, that was good, Steve said around a twig he picked his teeth with. My compliments to the chef, but as I recall, I was the chef. As I recall, Mariel did most of the cooking, Michael pointed out to his smug friend. He and his friends sat alone, as if an invisible line had been drawn that segregated the strangers. Their companions seemed oblivious to them, but Michael knew better. He caught glimpses and comments almost past the edge of perception. They may not be looking at them, but they were talking about them. The Metaf's suspicion hung in the air like a dark cloak. It's not best to dwell on it, Bears said. Michael looked at his friend and nodded. I think it's the first time I've ever felt like a minority. Yeah, Bear agreed. I feel included and excluded at the same time. You guys think too much. Steve tossed away his makeshift toothpick. And sometimes you don't think enough. Bear retorted. Look, Steve said with an uncharacteristically serious expression. I can't explain this any more than you can. Do I know what's going on? No. Do I care? Yes. And all I know is that we are far from home and in some kind of danger. There's no sense in trying to get your head around the whole thing because you can't. It's too big. And trying to make too much sense of what's going on is going to distract you from what's really important. And what's that? Michael asked. Staying alive and getting back home. Steve opened his mouth to say more, but then stopped and casually leaned back onto his saddle. Heads up, Michael. Here comes your girlfriend. Zoe approached. She carried a wineskin. She had removed her leaflet armor and now only wore a light undershirt and pants. Her figure was striking when not covered with armor and weapons. Michael grimaced and looked away. Is he always so serious? She asked. For the most part, but we like him anyways, Steve answered. Here, she tossed the leather container into Steve's lap. The food preparer has allowed the first drink. Steve took a long pull from the wineskin. He stopped and coughed a laugh. <coughs> Whoa, What is that, like 150 proof? He took another swig and tossed it to Michael. That'll put some hair on your chest, he rasped. Michael took a tentative sip and coughed as warmth spread throughout his body. The sensation reminded him of taking an ice-cold drink on a hot summer day. He handed the concoction to Bear. Here. <coughs> they all watched as Bear took an extremely long drink from the container. 
He handed the pouch to Zoe with a satisfying sigh. Moonshine. He smiled. It tastes like my grandpa's moonshine, except far more refreshing. Bear, Steve said seriously, you had access to hooch and you never told us? Bear paused and said, I honestly never thought about it. Michael laughed, feeling the day's tension seep out of him. He knew Steve had a point. If they had been like normal teenagers, they would have been out behind the school smoking or drinking, or as Steve liked to put it, scoping out chicks. But they were different, and they knew it. He understood that some adults would call it odd, and most of a school would just call it plain weird. Michael found an unexpected comfort in the thought. He didn't know if it was a simple adolescent drive to be set apart or to express individuality, but he suspected it went deeper than that. It wasn't something they strove for. It was something inherent. We do it much the same way, Bear said to Zoe. Michael drifted back into the conversation. Bear was trying to glean how their distilling process worked. Steve looked bored. His short friend stood. Standing that close to Bear, Michael could easily see the contrast in size between his two friends. Sitting, Bear's head almost reached to Steve's shoulder. Either Steve was shrinking, or Bear was growing, or the liquor was stronger than Michael had expected. Steve stretched and spoke in another one of his horrible accents. Michael thought it might be Scottish. Well, as much as I like to partake of the thrilling discussion, I've got to go see a man about a donkey. Zoe cocked an eyebrow at Bear, who shook his head in embarrassment. Steve feigned bafflement. What? I think your tactfulness can use some work, Michael stood. But now that you mention it, don't wander too far, Zoe cautioned, finally catching on. Tact, my friend, Steve said in a stuffy professor's voice, is overrated. Now, if you do not mind, my bladder is quite exasperated. Lead on, Professor I.P. Freely. Michael motioned with his hand. Steve laughed and strolled into the dark woods. The two walked about fifteen yards from the camp, each finding a different tree to relieve themselves. Michael felt like he had been swallowed by the night. In a moment of panic, he turned and peered over his shoulder. He could still see the light generated by the campsite and barely make out Steve's silhouette. Everything else was pitch black. Hey, no peeking, Steve called out. I've got a shy bladder. Michael turned back around and stared at nothing. The moon gave ample light in a clearing, but the tree sealed him under a black canopy. He had to fight to get oriented. He had never been in such complete darkness. Even camping as a child, there was always some sort of light reflecting off clouds from a city miles away. Michael gained a new respect for the word wilderness. As he finished his business, he heard a voice. He froze. Steve, he whispered. Steve, did you hear that? He strained his ears against the silence. I heard it. Steve answered quietly as he slipped up next to him. It sounded like Bear. But he's back at the camp. I know, but what if... The voice came again. Michael estimated about ten yards away. That's Bear he said louder. Bear, we're over here, Steve shouted and then said to himself, that bonehead's gonna break his ankle. Michael, 
bear's deep voice resonated through the forest. It seemed pained. Hold on, Michael called out. I'll come get you. Steve, stay here as a point of reference. I don't want to get lost, too. He ventured into the opaque night with both hands extended. Bear! He bumbled his way through the forest, blind, and now more than a little scared. Bear's voice cried out again. It seemed farther away. Stay where you are! I'm coming to get you! He swiveled to look at Steve, who raised his hand ten yards behind him. Michael waved back. A twig snapped to his right, and Michael froze, overcome with a sense of dread. Bear? His voice faltered. Michael caught two slits of red before the creature leapt towards him. It roared and suddenly yowled just before it collided with him. The thing slammed into his body, knocking the air out of his lungs and off his feet. Michael scrambled in a panic to get out from under the thing as its breath grew increasingly labored. The stink of the animal was overpowering. A tall, slender form emerged from the thicket. Even in the night, Zine's white hair caught flecks of silver from the distant light. She stepped past Michael, and with one fluid stroke, she separated the beast's head from its body. Are you wounded? she asked. No. Michael gulped as he watched the red light fade from the beast's eyes. Kenolikos, she explained, wiping off her sword. It imitates a familiar voice to lure its victim. It should not be here. I caught the scent of it earlier, but I didn't believe one could be in my forest. These are strange times you have brought with you. She extended her hand. Michael took the offered hand and pulled himself to his feet. It occurred to him that apart from his interaction with Hippolyta, Zine was the first metaph he had ever touched. He couldn't explain exactly how, but her skin felt different, but just barely. Sort of exotic. Steve and Zoe were at their side in a moment, and Michael hastily dropped Zine's hand. Zoe took one look at the dog-like creature and said, Warn them. Zine leapt into the darkness. Dude, are you okay? Steve asked as he stared at the severed head. I'm fine. Was that what we heard? Yeah, Zine said it copies voices. It is a fool's beast. Zoe kicked the body angrily. Even a child knows not to follow voices into the dark, Reed Keeper. Hey, maybe you could have told us, Steve defended. She's right. Michael forestalled him, feeling angry with himself. I should have known better. Zine warned me earlier that there was something weird going on, and even if she hadn't, I should have kept my guard up. Zoe visibly softened and stepped closer to him. Are you unharmed? The merest scratch from such a beast can cause serious injury. She pulled at his shirt, inspecting it for tears. I'm fine, Michael reassured, but found himself unable to pull away from her. She stopped and looked up at him, still holding the lapels of his shirt. Standing so close, Michael could clearly see how vibrant her green eyes were and how the aroma of vanilla swirled about her. Zoe brusquely stepped away. You two should return. I will patrol the area with my sisters. He eyed the thing, the canoculus, as he turned to the camp. It looked like a hyena on steroids. Be careful, Michael said, and immediately wished he had not. He braced himself for her snide response. As careful as a sitar, she answered. Michael thought he caught the flash of a smile before she slipped into the night. She's pretty, Steve said as they walked back towards the light. Shut up. What? He feigned shock. All I'm saying 
is that have you ever noticed how her smile can light up a dark, monster-infested forest? Put a cork in it. I'm just saying. Michael punched him in the arm. Hard. Thanks for listening, Journeyers. I hope you enjoyed this. And if you do, please spread the word, because I don't have an advertising budget. But honestly, thank you for listening. I really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoy taking this journey with me. Remember, be good to one another, and have a great week.